All right, testing, testing, one, two, three. I'm already getting a lot better levels. Sam, can you? Testing, 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 testing. Curtis, give me a sentence. Why do I have to give a sentence? Why can't I just say testing, one, two, three? What's up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hillman, and today, Adam and Sam are sitting down with our friends and Indie Hall members, Curtis and Kodoro, who are the co-founders of Coco Love, which is a conference. Ooh, that's a lot of hard C's in a row. It's a conference for Mac developers. And if you're a little bit confused of why we would have some guys who run a conference for Mac developers on a podcast about co-working, well, you're in for a real treat. Because for the last two years in a row that these guys have been running this event, we've heard the most incredible things from a attendees about the experience that they had and how it was unlike any other technical conference they'd been to. So we thought it would be useful to sit down with Curtis and Kodoro and find out why that was. What did they do differently at their event that makes people think differently? So there's a ton for you to learn in this episode from how they've approached diversity in a technical industry that is typically dominated by guys to having a 50-50 ratio of men and women, something I'm very proud of that we have here at Indie Hall and I'm hoping we're able to see at the People at Work Summit as well to how they get technical topics out of the way and make room for the soft topics, the evergreen topics, things that people don't always think about but are extremely valuable, not just on the day of the conference, not just the week or the months after the conference, but for the lifetime that you're running whatever business, organization, or community that you're running. This is the stuff that you're able to apply every day moving forward. So I hope you learn a lot in this episode, things that you're able to apply to your own events in your own communities, but I also hope that it gets you excited for the people at Work Summit. Some of the tips and ideas that came out of this conversation or things that we're actually implementing for the event. So if you haven't already gotten your ticket, go ahead and do that now at peopleatworksummit.com. Tickets are still under $100, and every ticket purchased creates a scholarship for a person who can't afford it. So you're not just helping yourself out, but you're helping somebody else out in the co-working world. So let's get on with the episode, and we'll see you on the other side. Uh, for my benefit, for Sam's benefit, will you, Kodoro, explain what Coco Love is? It's a conference targeted to people in the iOS Mac sphere uh, who build products for um, in the sort of the Apple ecosystem. Okay, uh, but we don't do uh, talks that are highly technical, or as I like to tend to call it, uh, talks that deprecate the moment you walk out of the conference. Oh, oh uh, tell me more about that. What do you mean? Like, um, as soon as I hear the talk, the moment after that, it just goes out of my head? It just well, leaves me? It's, it, well, when I look at it, right, I go to a conference, a technical conference, and usually uh, the talks are pretty heavy in specific technologies, core data, um, push notifications, you know, building uh, you know, a specific type of stack. Mm -hmm. And then you might go back to your work and you might work on it, maybe. And it might, you know, that might be valid for a year, maybe two years, so on and so forth. I think the type of talks we tend to look for and tend to provide are talks that go much more beyond just that specific technology stack. And hopefully you can, you can use it as sort of a guide and um, for what you do in your in your in your work life, mm -hmm. but also what you do in your life in general. So you're talking; these are things that are not just high concept. These are things that you do. You put action behind. I think it's how we approach a certain problem okay. that we might take a different angle to. I might say it's um, 
some iOS conferences, they'll go the angle of it's a technical conference. It's built for engineers. Mm -hmm. I would maybe sum up Coco Love as in it's built for people trying to ship products. Mm. There's so much more that goes into shipping an iOS or a Mac app. Um, you know, how to be successful. Is it just a good design? Is it the business? Is it the customer service? All those factors are what will make or break your app a lot more than are you using the latest core data stack or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we mean by don't deprecate because uh, Apple's annual event in June, they, it's known, just iOS developers, we know, leave the back half of your summer to fix what Apple will break at WWDC because uh -huh. they give you all the new stuff to play with, but they also change a lot of the old stuff. So we're used to this concept of like every year, oh shit, I have to spend two months fixing my app. Um, and our talks skew away from that because they are things about, you know, how to build a successful business, how to be a good team lead, yeah. uh, how voiceover on iOS has changed the life of the visually impaired, stuff like that that really matters more for products. Okay, so full disclosure, um, there is a reason why Sam and I are talking to both of you, and that is because Sam and I are part of a team that is we're making a conference, right? We're doing the People at Work Summit. It's in April. Both of you guys are organizers for Coco Love in Philadelphia. And repeatedly, every time either one of you or anyone else who is a part of the conference talks about the conference, it doesn't sound like a conference I have ever been to. And I think part of that ties to the language that you use, I think, on your website, which is Coco Love is for people. Right? Like, can you describe why that is important to you to say that it's, it's a conference for people? Why do you have to go out of your way to say it's a people conference? Aren't all conferences? Actually, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you uh, why you were going to do a conference in the first place. No, that's a hard. really good question. <laughs> that's really, actually, Sam, do you know why we're going to do a conference? Yeah. Uh, we're doing a conference because we didn't have enough to do here. <laughs> uh, but, uh, well, so. Less, less for me, but more for Adam and Alex. They were looking f at all these different conferences that they've attended, uh, and I have also been to one conference. And it was like, how do you get the most out of these conferences? How do you get the content that you actually want to find? How do you meet the people you want to meet? And skip all of the traveling and the fact that you have to leave work and any expense that's, it's, it's a lot of logistics that distract you from your content. And the other thing was looking at the content that we wanted to see in a conference. So just like you guys didn't really want to do a conference on very specific technical stuff, it was more about these things that are people are going to be able to take and use forever. That's a lot of what we're looking for as well, both in the co-working community, but also making the conference for people that are members of spaces, people that work kind of adjacent to co-working. Um, and a lot of our speakers reflect that goal, I think, as well. I also think a little bit is um, somewhat selfish in the, the, the sense that anytime I've been to a, a conference or a summit or a, a meetup uh, that has to do with co-working. We're, we're so ingrained in talking about co-working and like how how nice it is that we're doing it. Um, and that's really great. We, we, we're looking for some validation to make sure that we're doing good work and it's worth doing. And I think that we've reached a point in time when that conversation deserves to be elevated and we get to talk about how the thing that we're making isn't important, uh, the, but the people that we are are important and, and we can grow and be better at not just this thing that we make, but in general, right, and use it as a tool. 
And what impresses me with your conference is Coco Love is something that, as far as the topic goes, doesn't speak to me, Adam Tetteris, because I don't know anything about iOS development. But the way that you talk about it is endlessly appealing because it's for people, people who are multidimensional, people who are um, curious, people who come from different backgrounds and have different reasons for being a part of your industry, whether it's curiosity, uh, recreation, professional aspects, or just networking. Or not networking, maybe. That's, that's a sterile word, but looking for relationships. There are a lot of friendships and relationships built out of that. So the reason I say full disclosure is when I talk about people at Work Summit and the work that Sam and Alex and I are doing, I want to make a conference like yours. <laughs> so I want to learn about what, what it takes, what you've done, the things that you've bumped into that you don't want to do again, the things that were really surprisingly worth it. Um, and I wonder if you, if you have a story about why you started this conference. Why would you shoulder this? Uh, well, I started it because I was an idiot. Um, we were <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure. Yeah, I'm oh, not yeah, the same, best person same, to follow. Same. Uh, no, no. They, we were actually, so um, for those who might not be familiar, there's an organization called Cocoa Heads. It's a nationwide, kind of a loose set of chapters um, for just people interested in iOS and Mac development. And Philly has a very good chapter, and Indie Hall uh, has been very gracious to host a lot of our, what we call, side project Saturdays. Yeah. Kind of a hack day. Just a bunch of people get together, work on their side projects, have fun. Uh, so one January, we were coming out of here, and we were lamenting that the Philly iOS community have really grown over the past couple of years, uh, even to the point that we were starting to outgrow Indie Hall for our main meetings. Yeah. And so we were walking out, and we kind of realized there were no conferences near us. All the iOS conferences, you know, there's one in Denver. At the time, two in Canada. Now there's only one. And most of them were West Coast. So we were just kind of complaining, like, why don't we have one? I just stuck my neck out there and said, yeah, sure, I'll do one. Why not? And literally, that's the origin story of Coco Love, just me being an idiot and saying, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Keep in mind, there was one in Dallas, all right? Okay. Dallas. Yeah, sure. Right? Not, they don't one, they... not one in Philly, but there's one in Dallas. Okay, sorry. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's my sports fans talk. Well, it's funny that he, uh, getting back to that, was like, when he said it, I think all of us was like, yeah, 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 it's nice to say, right? Yeah. We didn't think he was actually going to do it. Like I said, <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> the, uh, Curtis, given that you... I just made the decision, maybe a rash decision, maybe not, that you wanted to uh, throw a conference. Uh, did you have any experience doing it before? No, although I, I do relate uh, when people ask. Uh, it, it, it has many similarities to wedding planning, and my oh. wife and I took on that responsibility for our wedding. We didn't outsource or do anything. Um, so kind of like the event planning sphere, there are a lot of similar events you might have already put on in your life. Um, at the time, I didn't know that. But definitely, as I was planning it, I noticed the similarities, so it didn't it didn't feel too bad. It felt somewhat familiar in that way. Uh, was there was there anything that you uh, encountered the first time you were putting this together uh, that you you didn't think you ever had to think about? Like, w were there some unknown obstacles that you had to bump into when you were organizing? Oh, geez, uh, that sounds like there were a lot of them. Well, I, I think some of it was just. Well, yeah, not necessarily unknown obstacles, just I didn't know what to expect for some of them, like finding a venue. Um, yeah. That initial search, and you guys are going to have a much easier time with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're using but, the internet. Yeah, you guys are smart. Um, 
But for us, finding a venue in Philadelphia that could hold, we're usually normally between 100 to 150 people. Yeah. Uh, so finding that sweet spot, finding a venue that was really going to create a good welcoming atmosphere and not some cold lecture hall type thing. Yeah. That was important to us, and that took us a while to track down. Yeah. Okay, on that, uh, given the fact that our summit is not going to have a venue, which means we won't have an environment that has presence or proximity um, just baked in the fact that people are all in the same room together. Could either of you guys give us some insight into how we can make it so people connect with one another or feel each other's presence, even if we're just talking online? So first thing that comes to mind is something like Slack. Uh. Um, If you have some way for the attendees to talk and feel like they're all in the same room, That'll help create that illusion, maybe. Yeah. Um, now it's hard because people don't like talking while talks are going on, but you don't have to worry about being rude and interrupting in that case. So sure. that might work out to your advantage. Um, but definitely find some way that they're not having to track each other down on Twitter or something like that. Uh, make it so you have a room for them somehow. A lot of the stuff that makes that conference, or at least Coco Love, uh, work is the fact that we have these moments for the attendees to talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, between talks, it's kind of like an excuse for us to get set up in a way, but in between talks, we have like, what, five, ten-minute intervals? So we make sure that we give people a great talk, and then people can then kind of decompress from it yeah. and talk to each other about it. The other thing that we did that I thought was a brilliant idea, you know, in retrospect, was that we had the, the, the pins that identified whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, or somewhere in between. Mm. Uh, and so everybody put them on. They actually really gravitated towards that and um, really provided the sort of way so that when you're in a group conversation and somebody's sort of just standing there and you're, you're not sure exactly like whether or not, you know, they're quiet or they're, they have something mean to say or something like that. Like at least you, there's a little indicator to imply like, okay, well, you know, he's just going to be around to, to listen and maybe he'll contribute, but there's no forcing it. You don't have to force anything out of this person. Where, where did that idea come from? That's a really genius idea. So that was um, one of our speakers the first year. He had actually, uh, he calls them the say hi pins. Uh, but they're just little cats on a thing. And like one cat's kind of hiding behind a corner. One cat's all in your face. Hello. Um, and he had tried it at XOXO, the conference out in Portland. Mm. Um, and never really got official support for it. He just kind of went around and handed them out and stuff. Um, and he wanted to see a conference embrace it, so he brought it up to me when I approached him as a speaker, like, hey, I've had this side project going on. Uh, Would you like something like that? And I was just like, yeah, we need that, because I needed some way, because I, for a long time, had considered myself an introvert and struggled with that and realized that I could carry a conversation as long as somebody else on the other side was doing a little bit more work than I was, Um, and being able to signal that, that to someone is hard. So once he pointed that in my face, it was just like, yeah, give me. And we've had him back for every year. That uh, having the pins uh, that uh, allow people to identify themselves and and what they're prepared for or comfortable for, I think speaks to uh, one of the elements that impresses me so much with with Coco Love, which is mindful invitations for different types of people. And that's the kind of thing that I I think I'm most interested in in terms of making sure that when we email out and and share the stuff that we're excited about, that we're sharing it with people who are not exactly like us, right? Um, So I'm curious, as far as inviting people to be a part of uh, Coco Love, 
how do you go about making sure that you have a different group of people? You have some diversity represented and not just in, in uh, backgrounds and regions, but, you know, different types of people with different interests and uh, different behaviors, I, I suppose. One thing that certainly helped is since we don't focus on the technical, that makes it so our conference isn't excluding a lot of the other part of the ecosystem, like testers, designers, mm. product managers, um, customer support representatives. We have a number of those come. Um, but that sounds too corporate. I mean, like the, the people doing customer support at the small indie shops. Um, so that helps a lot to bring in a lot of different viewpoints. Um, but diversity is something that we've definitely struggled with a ton. It's... I mean, uh, before we even had a name, I said that was going to be a priority for us because um, mm. that's something that, I don't know, it's just the right thing to do, I guess. Yeah. Um, but you don't see that many conferences doing, they're, they're trying, and I know how much of a struggle it is, but it's, I, we want to see more out there like that. Um, so like one of the first things we did to try and make it to uh, attract a bunch of different people was we set our price purposely pretty low compared to iOS conferences. Uh, most three-day conferences are, you know, eight hundred bucks plus. Uh, we set ours at three ninety-nine the first year, and the hope for that was, okay, well, a lot of people who can't normally go to conferences will come to this. Um, in retrospect, we've kind of learned actually that, uh, well, our second year we introduced a scholarship program uh, where we had some budget, and then also attendees could donate towards. And last year we gave away ten free tickets, and that was far, far more effective than just being cheap. Because um, the people who could f afford three ninety nine already had to travel, pay for a hotel. Like the barrier to entry wasn't three ninety nine; it was more like nine hundred dollars mm. by the time you actually got to Philly. Um, so this year, we've actually we raised the price by like fifty bucks across the board, but we're trying to give away more scholarship tickets because that was the big key to diversity that we found was. You know, the travel prevents a lot of people from coming. And you guys are going to have a cinch with that. <laughs> That's not a big problem for you guys. Um, but, but that is something we had to be mindful of. Is, and we learned that after the first year was, you know, travel's a big barrier for a lot of people. Yeah. And the only real way to eliminate that part of the equation was to make the ticket for free for some people. Yeah, accessibility is something that's a really priority to us. We want to make sure that... Um, you know, apart from not traveling, but the, the price point is, is, is something that could be a barrier for someone to join. So one of the things that we're really excited about is doing uh, ostensibly a scholarship. So uh, a, a piece of every person's ticket cost will go toward buying uh, a fragment of somebody else's ticket. So for every 10 tickets sold, we have a free ticket available. So someone has an opportunity to come if that was in the way. And I know you guys also worked on... Um incorporating more diversity with your speakers as well. How, how exactly did you do that? That was a lot of outreach. Um, so the first year, we only had 33% when you look at gender balance. Uh, last year, we had 50%, which was kind of my ultimate goal. I wanted to, that's my, we need that. Um, and it all pretty much came down to just reaching out to people, finding people saying, hey, do you know someone who's interested in a speaking opportunity? Uh, because the problem we have is, um, like, we opened up our call for speakers two weeks ago. And I think right now it's about 90 to 95% men. Um, even if it, it, it's something that you have to make a priority and you can't just do the, oh, okay, well, I'm going to pick based on what sounds like the best talk because the pool that you're picking from is inherently already misbalanced. So you have to actively counterbalance that through your own efforts if you want that to be something that you care about. Mm -hmm. So it was, I mean, I think last year, actually, 
I don't think any of our lady speakers were call for speakers. They were all, we knew that they wanted to speak and we reached out to them and made that happen. Um, and that was the only way we could really make that balance work. Otherwise, it would have been one woman on stage every year. Just to sort of add back to the whole diversity uh, approach, or at least our efforts to increase the diversity, we added a code of conduct relatively early yeah. just to make sure like, okay, it's inviting to everyone and we're trying, and we would not tolerate any sort of this, you know, any, any sort of abuse or that kind of stuff. That's interesting because you, you're, you're saying you added a code of conduct and that's something that you shared with attendees. Right. So you yourselves as organizers, you abide by a code of conduct and then you went out of your way to make sure that you shared that with the people who walk in the door. Right. And we even emphasize that in the, I think, in your initial, when you do, not the keynote, but the introduction talk, you know, emphasize, don't be a bleep, you know. Just <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I think it's important for a more of an in-person conference. Um, part of the opening remarks he was referring to is, you know, putting a code of conduct up is easy. It's a signal that needs to be sent to say that you're at least paying attention enough to these issues to say that this is important. But there's still a lot of skepticism towards will it be enforced? How much does this actually matter? So that's one thing during the opening remarks we always make sure to point out is like, all the organizers have been briefed on if something goes wrong, this is what you do. This is who you contact. This is how you treat people. This is what happens. And I think that's important to communicate at least once the attendees get there. That way they know like, oh, okay, they didn't just copy and paste the code of conduct just so I would sneak in and buy a ticket. Like I'm actually reasonably safe there. And I think that that's made it so a lot of the attendees know that they can feel welcome and they don't have to be necessarily on guard as much. I mean, I hope we never get a bad egg and we'll be at least prepared to deal with that. But I think it sends a signal of like, okay, the, the, these organizers actually mean it um, and they're going to try their best. Um, going back to speakers, because that's something that Adam and I are working on like right now, today. <laughs> um, how do you, I know you said you get a bunch of responses. I know you're looking for diversity, but how do you pick your speakers? What sort of stuff do they come to you with? How do you work with them or do they just come and they have something prepared? How does that exactly work? So I guess it's a mix of if it's someone that uh, I reach out to or if it's someone that submitted a paper. Um, I guess for someone that submitted a paper, uh, we have a set of questions like, you know, what's, what's the audience takeaway for this? Are you being, considering our audience of designers, developers, testers, customer support, uh, are you inclusive of all those groups? You know, is everyone going to have something to take away from this, basically? And we filter based on that. And then also things like diversity. We cover travel costs, so we have to take into account, like, okay, we can't fly over 10 people from Europe, uh, but we can afford, you know, one or so. So there's some factors along that. Um, but in terms of, like, judging the talks, um, usually they come to us with a proposal for, like, roughly this is what I would like to speak about. And then we just kind of from there try and dig out of them a little bit if it seems interesting to say, okay, you know, well, what do you think the audience will get out of it? For the invites, that's more, I've seen you talk before or I've heard that you're a good speaker from so-and-so or friend of friend, and we'd like to have you talk. Uh, is that something you'd like to do? Here is the flavor of the conference. You know, here's what we go for. Here's what we want the talks to really do. We want them to spark conversations. And then the speaker just says yes or no. And from there, like, I, I'm always available. Like, I'll bounce back and forth with speakers. Like, hey, so how's it going? You know, anything you need help with? But, yeah, kind of just guide them a little bit at least. And I do know anecdotally from another iOS conference, um, they actually enforced, not enforced, they, they were very hands-on uh, with 
guiding the talks because they wanted the talks to be very action-oriented, very, very specific. And they had a heavy hand, and actually a lot of the speakers enjoyed that um, because the speakers, they never know, like, how is the audience going to receive this? But if you have the conference organizers saying, like, oh, that talk idea you, you gave me? No, 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 no. That's, the audience isn't going to like that. Go this direction. I think you have a gold nugget here. Um, and it worked out really well. That I attended that conference, and all the talks were wonderful. So having a little bit of a hand in the speaker's evolution uh, for a talk at your conference can be helpful and welcome sometimes. And that's something that when I say w that's what we're doing is that's our, our goal is to work together with our speakers and find those actionable nuggets, as you put it. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in, in the in the tone of preparedness, helping your speakers be prepared to get the most out of their talks and to give the most out of their talks, I'm curious how you help prepare attendees to get the most out of the conference at a whole. So apart from a code of conduct, are there any other ways uh, that you make suggestions for attendees to get a lot of value out of being there? I'd say, uh, I guess, the at least last year, kind of the front door they had to go through our website. Uh -huh. uh, we, ba we used the line, I think, like, leave the laptop in the hotel room to kind mm. of send that signal early. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't repeat that in the marketing this year just because we changed a bunch of things. I think also from the tone of the conference that we set on the website, they kind of get the feel that, you know, we, we tell them that we're specifically crafting this conference so that they're going to connect with the other people. Yeah. Uh, so A, that's self-selecting, which is nice because then you get people who actually want to at least try to talk to other people even if they're introverts and they're prepared for that. Um, but a lot of it actually, the stress that I usually feel is the opening remarks I put on um, again, more for probably an in-person conference, but I really view that as the way to set the tone mm. and to really tell people, hey, grab those pins, you know, be prepared to open up, be prepared to talk. Uh, that's the reason that you're here. Yeah. So the opening remarks for us, I think, usually really helps at that stage. It's also the setting that you, you have it in. So there's round tables, people almost osmosisly move from one table to another. There's a lot of dead dead time between talks. I don't want to use dead, but it basically <laughs> scheduled time for people to have, you know, walk around, stretch, have conversations, or, you know, also when they come in, we make sure that they feel, well, I guess, I guess the tone itself, as it kind of goes, kind of encourages the, the flow yeah. of the entire conference. Uh, we do like we try to make sure we do little things that help encourage that as we go, whether it be the pins, whether it be the the, the time in between talks, even down to the badges, uh, where you know it, it's one of those little happy like oh you know like when we did when we came up with the idea of doing like a drawing of the attendees for each badge and that would be their their badge along with a fracture picture of mm. the same image. Like it was a little, little something that they, they can always, you know, they didn't expect, especially in the first, the first time. They didn't expect like, oh, this badge is of me. Well, it's, you know, it's borderline creepy, but it's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I d actually, to, to, to clarify on that, uh, I've seen it, but for anyone who's not familiar, what is the badge that you're describing? So Cocoa Love, at least I like to think, is unique in one particular sense, or one obvious sense, is that we will go out and draw a picture of you <laughs> uh, in some form or fashion. And when the reason why I did it was because, like, uh, there, you could have a very cool badge that's made out of wood or laser etched or whatever, right? Well, yeah, I usually I, have a really flimsy lanyard. Yeah, right? <laughs> so I was like, you know what? Let's, let's do something that they know. I know nobody is dumb enough 
to try to copy. <laughs> so what's the, you know, so I was like, okay, you know, I was, at the time I was like looking at this app called Procreate, which is a uh, drawing app. And I thought, oh, I want to learn this. I want to spend some good quality time with it. What's a good project to work on? So I proposed the idea to Curtis, who I think at the time was probably looking at me like I was kind of crazy. <laughs> it's like, wait, that's a hundred, like at the time, it's like potentially that could be 150 portraits. Are, are you sure you can do that? That you that personally. That I personally would draw yeah. on an iPad mini, which doesn't have a lot, <laughs> a lot of RAM to begin with <laughs> and a lot of space. Uh, and basically rotoscope, like a black and white photo, yeah. black and white drawing of each one. Um, for me, you know, like maybe the first one might take 40 minutes, but after I get into a good rhythm, probably, you know, each portrait could take like 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. And then we would draw them. We would have digital, you know, it would already be digital. So I'd just send them, I'd Dropbox them to Curtis and Curtis will have a, uh, has a batch template that it puts it on and then we print them. There are, there are two things that I really like about that. Um, neither of those things are the fact that you are crazy. <laughs> because you are, uh, but um, the there are two things that I really like that I, I I feel need to be pointed out. One is you've done something that recognizes the people who are going to be there, right? You as an organizer have gone out of your way to say, I know that you're going to be here, and I'm I'm aware of you, and I think that's really significant because you're a person who's making an event and you're welcoming people into it, and now you're you're actually making sure that they know you communicate that you know. Uh, that it's important for them to be there. So here's your token of appreciation. And two, in a way, you've, you've shared something personal about yourself with all of the people. So you're not just an organizer now. You're a person who enjoys doing this. Also, you're a person who's completely lost his mind, but you're a person who's enjoyed doing this. And that's the kind of thing that I want to make sure that we can convey is that we organize this so we can have conversations that we want to have to express interests that we have. And one other thing that I think worked well to add a third point, um, they're good conversation pieces. And I think that's part of the reason I originally hooked on to uh, Coach Rose's suggestion was, you know, when you're walking around the room, you're going to want to look at everyone's portrait. That's yeah. something cool to look at, and that gives you an excuse to go up to the person. Yeah. Um, so it was a way to, A, acknowledge, like, make things personal, but, B, just find all those little ways to encourage people to talk to each other. Yeah. You, um, you have a conference that you're working on now. Do you have information about that that you can share? Dates? Yeah, yeah we uh, just uh, put the website up, I guess, two weeks ago as of this talk. Um, so, yeah, it is October 14th through the 16th. Uh, we're back in Old City, Philadelphia, like always. Uh, Chemical Heritage Foundation is the venue. Uh, mm -hmm. They're a great place. Um, really, really nice space uh, to host. Um, and, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And the website, the website if oh, someone Coco wants Love to check it out? CocoLove.org. Okay. Um, something that Sam and I have been asking of people that we're, we're talking to for this series uh, – uh, who are helping us make this conference really special, is um, given the fact that our conference is about work and a, a better future of work and, and better workers and coworkers, um, we're curious what that looks like for each of you. Uh, so what does it look like when you're doing your best work? What does it look like when I'm doing my best work? I guess it's hard to say unless, you know, it's like when you're in that zone, I think... It's hard to really sense when you're doing your best work until, I guess, in retrospect. But when you, I guess you feel it uh, when you kind of, like, are in it. Mm. Um, at least for me. I, I can't, 
it's hard to say because like a lot of times that's much more of a retrospective kind of thing. It's like, oh yeah, that was amazing work, right? But do you ever think back like how how the hell did I get into that zone? How do you make that? It's when you know you're like late night crying and struggling <laughs> and and <laughs> and going, why why am I doing this? This is so stupid. Why am I drawing 120 odd portraits? This is so dumb. This Go to Rufujita, of course, a, a proponent for sustainable I effort. <laughs> I should not have signed up for this crazy idea. <laughs> and, and then, but when you go and you watch people look at it for the first time, yeah. and they look at the portraits, and they go, and they kind of have that look, right? Where they, they're just amazed. And then, you know, it's kind of funny. When I did that the first time, and everybody thought it was Photoshopped. Yeah. Like, we, they thought we literally Photoshopped everybody. Yeah. And it's like, oh, what filter did you use? And I was like, no, I just hand drew that. And they were like, Wait, you and then at first that, that was the initial thought of the entire collective was that they thought it was all photoshopped. Yeah. And then when it slowly word got out that that was all hand drawn, that's when the sort of the switch in their mind flipped and then you could sort of see this weird like change in their perspective about it. That's the other thing too about when you do something that that's sort of like this labor of love. You, it's not so obvious, but you feel it. You know, it's it's like the the typical like Johnny Ive promotion or whatever. But like <laughs> it's true. Like people might not necessarily understand what makes this thing great. And I think I've, we've gotten a lot of feedback of that in Coco Love, particularly is like they can't describe a lot of times what make what made it great. But they do know a lot of love, quote unquote, was put into this conference. Yeah. And the people that crafted it was very um, deliberate in how they did it. At least that's how I feel like of course a lot of times we go in the middle of it all like I don't know if it's gonna work <laughs> maybe that's usually a good sign when you're like like panicking and like struggling but then like you know like and like trying like unsure the uncertainty but you're doing it anyway because you know it's it's a typical when we did it a lot of it was based off of that whole JFDI you know like I don't know. We're just going to do it, damn it. We're just going to do it. I was like, are you sure? It's kind of crazy. So, no, just we're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. But at least that's for me. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Oh, I like that a lot. I think, you know, I think you're right. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's maybe a moment when you're not even sure. But when you see someone else look at that, at that product, at what you made, and they have a recognition for the effort that you put into it, it's almost like you remind yourself, like, oh, yeah, I did put a lot of effort into that. At the time, I might not have even known, but I really did. And that, that's what make it, that makes it special. How about you, Curtis? What does it look like when you were doing your best work? Interpret it. I know. I guess my interpretation situationally, um, I'm, since I'm India, I'm usually pretty remote. Uh, especially out in the suburbs instead of Philly proper. Uh, so usually, n recently, it's been early morning before the wife wakes up on Slack, just banging away at some code or conference planning or whatever other crazy project I have going on. Uh, but that's been uh, usually when I'm churning out a lot of good work, when I can just kind of get some silence um, and just kind of get in that zone for an hour or two. S something that I'm pulling out of both of those things, I think, is that uh, and from Coco Love, just in the way you speak about it, is that it is a labor of love, which you did say. But I, I love that because um, I think so easy. It's so easy, especially in planning this conference, in talking about all the stuff that has to happen, all the people that we want to round up. It feels like okay, it's a lot of stuff to do. But then when you think about the love behind it, the love of like watching people see their portrait for the first time, or 
watching folks connect and realize that like, oh, I'm an introvert, but I still have accesses into getting into a conversation at the level I want to be there for. It's very, very cool to have that reminder of like, oh, this is a labor of love. Like, keep loving what you're doing. Yeah, and it, it's important that when it's, because you can have a labor of love for like a tech conference and you're trying to put on the most educational tech conference. And I think it's all where you want to focus that love is kind of the flavor that your conference will have. So if you're putting that attention to detail into how is this space going to feel and how am I encouraging the people to talk to each other, you're going to have a much different conference than saying, I want to get the best speakers with the most technical knowledge. And both of those can be very good conferences, but they're going to be good for different people. Um, so it's really focusing that love, I think, is where you get to find a conference that you want to put on. And you have to be mindful of those goals from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think from a, just from a Philly, selfish Philly point of view, you know, when we did this, it was a lot of a lot of it was much more like spiteful in that sense of like, man, there is no conference here in Philly. There is no conference. Dallas has a conference. <laughs> this, is, this is the this is the Philly sports fan but coming that's, out of me. But that's Philly love right <laughs> yeah. there. That's but 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 it's a typical like Philadelphian like, oh fine, like fi you know what, we're gonna have a party, <laughs> and you know what, you're all invited, but you know what, it's gonna be our party, and we're gonna do it the way we want to do it. And that's not going to be like anybody else's party because all you guys aren't going to be like us. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how it started in that sense, attitudinally yeah. speaking. I think this is a an important opportunity to make a statement about Philadelphia that we get a bad reputation for being so grouchy and stuff, but it's because we're grouchy because we love it so much and it makes us mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I want to thank both of you guys for, for coming in and, and talking to us. Um, this, this is something that we're really excited to put on, this conference, that the People at Work Summit is really important to us. And there are, are parts, uh, I think, of our day when we think, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But it's, oh, nor do we. Don't worry. But <laughs> it's so important that we do this, and it's so important that we have – People do this, uh, so the next time that we do it, it can be even better. And the first time that we do it, it's it's even better than we imagined it would be. And uh, for you guys to come and, and share some of your insight is really significant. I really appreciate the hell out of that, so thank you very much. And that's that's a wrap on you guys trying to make it so we don't look like idiots. <laughs> I hope we did a good job. Yeah, we tried me our too. Best. <laughs> 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 that's it. That's great. That's really awesome. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. Now, I'd be willing to wager a bet that the vast majority of the people that are getting to the end of this episode are not Mac developers. You are not a software developer, but you still learned something. You were probably still inspired to try something new at your own events for your organization, community, or co-working space. And that's why I think we've got something powerful going on here. There's this thing that we like to call lateral learning, learning from people who do things that are like what we do, but are not the same. And it's something that I want to see more of in the world of co-working. That's why we're doing these podcasts episodes and that's why we're putting together the people at work summit where we are going to give you an opportunity to learn from people who are doing things like what you do that you wouldn't even realize you can learn from people from the world of improv comedy you're going to be hearing in an upcoming episode people from the world of human sexuality you already heard from dr timory in a previous episode and a whole lot more the other thing that is often missing from conferences is the members themselves the members of co-working spaces are so rarely on stage 
stage. So we're giving a whole lot of stage time to members of co-working spaces to learn how it is that co-working is impacting people's lives and what people are learning that they need to get better at in order to make co-working part of their own success story. So there's value here at all levels for people that work in co-working spaces, people that work for co-working spaces, people that are starting co-working spaces, people that are just inspired by co-working spaces and want to run their organizations, their businesses, and their offices more like them. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, I hope you'll join us on April 21st for an Around the World conference and Around the Clock conference, programming and attendees from every single time zone and no need to travel in order to get it. Go to the peopleatworksummit.com. That's peopleatworksummit.com, not the peopleatworksummit.com. Go to peopleatworksummit.com. And if you grab your ticket now, you're going to get to witness firsthand how we turn a collection of people that have registered for a conference into an actual community by the day of the conference. The clock is ticking for us, but for every person who joins the People at Work Summit, we want you to feel like you're not just attending an event, but you're a part of a community. So you're going to get to witness our community building process firsthand. There's so many layers of learning possible here. We're pumped. We hope you're pumped and we look forward to seeing you join the community very, very soon. I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time.